Welcome to the 10th episode of First Issue Club, the weekly comic book podcast where we discuss the most hype number one issues to hit the shelves. If you are just getting into comics and need a compass for where to start, this podcast is for you. If you're a diehard Wednesday warrior and want a reading club to follow along with, we're also your podcast. It's almost mid-November, and we're discussing three comics that came out last Wednesday the 8th. Coyotes number one from Image Comics, Kong and Planet of the Apes number one from Boom Studios, and finally, Port of Earth number one from Top Cow, an imprint of Image Comics. With that, we're ready to meet today's club. Tell us your name, and what was the nerdiest thing you've put on display in your home or office? I like that. <laughs> my name is Caitlin Morosic, and one of my more recent ads is the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man vinyl, The Pop. He's in there. He's up on the windowsill now. Very yeah. happy about this. <laughs> Very cute. Very oh, big. So cute. <laughs> Bigger than the normal size Funko Pop, which is cool. Yeah. I'm Greg Lichtai, and recently my brother got married, and I was his best man. And the way he asked me to be his best man was he made his own comic book cover with a photo of us on it. And the title of the comic was The Best Man. And he gave it to me when he asked me to be his best man. Um, and I thought that was really cool. I'm going to cry. Oh, uh, <laughs> no. Here we go. That's too sweet. Tissue. I am Mike, the Budget King Russo. Mine's kind of like Greg. When I had a wedding, every, uh, what do they call it, groomsman? I bought them uh, Battle Beasts, uh, <laughs> which is a, a toy from, uh, I guess, the 80s into the 90s. I'm not exactly sure. I think sure. early 90s. Early 90s. And this was completely just an excuse to buy boxes of Battle Beasts uh, off of eBay, which I have all over my house and my wife hates. And she finally got me to remove them. So now they're now in a box in the basement. But that's like as of a, a month ago. And those fuckers are coming out right after we get done <laughs> renovating. Michael DeStacy, I used to have a lot of the little blind box toys. It was a big trend like eight, ten years ago where you'd, have, you'd buy a little box and not know what was inside of it. And there would be this little plastic cartoony toy inside. Uh, I had these all over my apartment. And the first time that I had a girl over... After having put them up around my room, I realized they looked like <laughs> baby toys. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? I've got, like, baby toys all over my room. So I took them down. Oh, no. They didn't last very long. Heather always says to me, your idea of decorating is putting action figures on shelves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. We just bought those, like, mini blind box guys, and I got a little Zoidberg. Oh. He's so cute. All right, that's the club. Mike. Let's get this podcast started. All right, let's talk Coyotes number one. Story and art by Sean Lewis and Caitlin Yarsky. Coyotes is a story about a young girl who lives in a town known as the City of Lost Girls where a pack of supernatural beings who take the form of coyotes prey on women and seemingly go unchecked by law enforcement. After losing her family to coyote attacks, our lead character, Analia, joins a league of women who fight back and meets an altruistic member of the police force who is new in town. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but City of Lost Girls is something that's real. I didn't. What? Tell us. Really? Yeah. So tell them. 
There is a city, Ciudad Juarez, that is a, like a border United States-Mexico city where in between the years 1995 and 2010, 620 women were killed fuck. and raped. Oh, fuck. Uh, and, you know, obviously law enforcement isn't doing much about it. Um, a very serious thing that this book draws a lot of inspiration from. Um, obviously, we, we, you know, we have these coyote characters who are a metaphor for these awful, prowling men who take advantage of women. Um, and then we get a little more literal with that. I think if we would have left the coyotes alone, we would have made the assumption that this is a metaphor for, you know, men and, you know, attacks on women. Um, but more literally, they're supernatural beings that take the form of coyotes or men. Um, pretty heavy stuff for this comic book. Last week when we were deciding to do this book, we uh, only saw the text. And Caitlin brought up, I, I wonder if it's about the actual uh, coyotes, which are uh, guides, I think, that are, you can hire their help to cross the border. Yeah, coyotes are human traffickers. Okay. Oh, they're, they're not helping you. Sometimes, if you pay them correctly. Yes. Yeah. There is a scene in this book that takes place where someone is trying to transport, um, you know, Mexicans over the U.S. border. And they get attacked by these wolves and torn to pieces. Pretty grim segment so far. Sheesh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but More yeah, dick some, jokes. So, <laughs> some well, he- heavy material in this in this first issue, right? Even though it's heavy, I think it is. To- the story is told much from a an empowered perspective, which is the women, the Victorias, the Duchess. Yeah. They're all very badass, very self aware, unapologetic. They're kind of brutal and formidable at the same time. They don't recognize the law enforcement. They're not shy about not recognizing them. They protect their own, and they sort of have in a mini culture around it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the same in Juarez, but or even if there were elements of some of this that they're drawing from. But it's and the main character Red or Analia, Analia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It yeah. The, this book has the. Uh, same whiff of the same time I the first time I read Monstrous, which is another book out on mm, image mm-hmm. that became su- super popular, um, strong female lead, um, all that kind of stuff. And to me, this this book felt intelligent. It felt smart, and it and it did like this like superhero women thing in, in a way that I'm like, fuck yeah, this just seems awesome. Yeah. 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 I love the quote where she's like, it's like a panel, it's like a montage of her training before she's got her, like, equivalent to the coming out, the debutante thing, but for the Victorias. And she's like, Dolly with the arrows, Beyonce with the darts. Yeah. And then references Iron Woman when she runs. It was awesome. So one thing, one direction that I hope this book doesn't take is that we've, we've got, like I said, this altruistic cop character who's new in town. He's the cop that we get this backstory on where he came from. He's a guy who's really devoted to his job, cares a lot about doing his job to the point where it's hurt his family, I believe they infer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would hate for an, a, a white American male to come in and be introduced to this situation, this problem, and then be the hero, especially when there's this badass group of women native to the area fighting back 
mm-hmm. and trying to take their city, you know, back for themselves. And I, this author is is known for doing some some pretty crazy stuff with the story, and I would I would be super surprised if that happens. I I think so too. This this book seems very self aware in what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, just an interesting character to throw in. Maybe stuff it, happens with him that just sheds some light on you know some of the dysfunction in the area of law. Well, the the Duchess says, like, stop leaving our bodies in ditches and we'll stop pissing on your badge. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I'd love to point out that I really liked about this book was that, you know, we're jumping around in time, but they did this really interesting thing with the lettering that helped you keep yeah. bearing of which characters are which. So our main character, whose nickname ultimately ends up becoming Red, her her type, her thought, her narrative is all in red. So when we see her as a little girl, we know it's her. When we see her as an older adult, we know it's her. There's this duchess that leads the Victorias, and she's got this very ornate, uh, you know, filigree around her, you know, word bubbles that, you know, add some presence and importance to her and help you keep your bearing of who she is as we travel through different points in time as well. Just a really cool thing that I've never seen done in a comic before that really helped with the narrative in the first issue. Super where we're, user we're throwing, throwing a lot at us, yeah. Speaking of that, this is a mixed-language comic book. They they have Spanish in there without a translation because um, you can use your fucking phone and just look up the words. <laughs> uh, but it also, like, it it sets, like, a great tone. It's It's, it's like, it totally, like, works for it. So that was Coyotes from Image Comics. All right. We have Port of Earth, number one, out on Top Cow, which is an imprint of Image, written by Zach Kaplan and Andrea Muti. Port of Earth is a science fiction comic book where we get Earth as the intermediate between galaxy travel. So lots of science fiction books out there are kind of figuring out how are we going to encounter aliens. In Port of Earth, we are simply a pit stop for intergalactic travel and essentially just filling up uh, galactic space items so that they can travel through. This sets the tone for the book. What ensues is aliens coming to Earth, of course, as they intermix with other humans, caused a little bit of disruption, caused some mass killings, uh, caused all kinds of different chaos that then needs to be regulated. That's essentially this book. We never get a true uh, main character, but everything that I just set up as for what the book is is really the first half of the book. The second part of the book, we dip into... How do we regulate these aliens on Earth? We do it a little bit through drones watching them. We do it through um, other different, like through newscasts and things like that. and really worked for me in that way. I got a question for you guys. Earth as a giant 7-Eleven that's constantly getting robbed. (laughs) How does that work for you? Oh, I mean, so what what, what is the payoff here? So they need water to fuel their ships, They correct? showed us how to use right. water as fuel, as it, a payoff. Or y- they are just doing it. Yeah, they gave and us... And not the, giving us the... Right, they gave us the technology that they have in exchange for 
to use our planet as a port. I don't know if right? they gave it to us or if they're just doing it for us. Because then there would be no... I they mean, they have incentive, did. right, to do yeah. it. Yeah. They're not, they're not, and I love this, they're not, like, benevolent. No. Yeah, they're very much, uh, what are they, it's a resource-driven. What yeah, did they business. call them? They used a company name or something. Oh, God, what was it now? Oh, Chevron? Yeah. 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 I feel, I feel like Earth got really boned in this deal. Because when aliens cause chaos, they can't kill them. Like, if the aliens get off the port and, like, start causing damage or killing humans, they can't take care of that alien unless given permission by, like, the alien union that came and made this port. Because they benefit from the alliance. Yeah. Like, it's, it, they're not, like, beholden because they're threatened by dying. Mm-hmm. This is a pure, like, commentary on, like, capitalism and borders and things like that, which I, I, I love that they're, and like... bad PR. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doesn't feel so good when Earth's getting bent over a barrel by the intergalactic... Uh, But once you know there's aliens, what are you going to do? Say no? I feel like you have to say, like, yeah, like, we have a precious commodity in the middle of nowhere. Let's make the deal with the aliens and get the free technology in exchange. Totally. Because otherwise they're going to jack our shit. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you're not going to give it to us? Then we're going to take it. Then it it becomes a space invasion movie. Right. Or book instead of, of like, (laughs) a, you know, extraterrestrial alliance story. Right. And this, like the first book, is playing with a little bit of, like, border metaphors, right? Mm -hmm. So we get a little bit of, like, oh, but the alien... I think they even say the aliens are taking the jobs. Yeah, the two two agents that you follow with the drones and the newscasting thing, one guy's like, we don't just... We're not here to kill the aliens. The other guy's like, yeah, we are. I've gone ahead and, like, jailbreaked this gun so that I can kill them faster. Or, like, what... It was such a weird, like... I don't know. Dynamic interaction, (laughs) yeah. I was going to say that an alternate synopsis that could have been given for this book was, in the future, a guy has the worst coworker ever. (laughs) (laughs) He was terrible. And and there's a day where they get monitored and uh, shown their days of worth of work for a PR stunt, and it just goes horribly wrong. Like, this guy's... The guy that this dude is working with is such a piece of shit, and he's like counteracting like everything he says and he's just like nah I do illegal shit all the time it's like, yeah, it's like if uh, Denzel Washington in training day had to wear uh, <laughs> like a, a dash can yeah, yeah right the other guy the whole time is just saying he's kidding yeah. like that's all he's saying <laughs> yeah. like, ignore uh, him <laughs> breaking all of these illegal guns yeah. out. like over and over and over again what a trickster do you think that these two characters are gonna be the leads of this comic? Well, they go down to I don't. investigate. I, I, I don't think they are because I think that what happens in this is they only say, oh, oh, that thing that caused the where we are, the chaos. Let's let's look at that. Mm-hmm. And they go down this route of the day they fucked up. This was a super intriguing book. It could have used 16 more pages. Yeah. A lot of times when we do a first issue and there's this like cool new book with a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Image puts a little more into it, and we get this nice, big, beefy book. This is about the length of a normal comic book, wouldn't totally. you say? Yeah, it really is. But they gave you some extras. They gave you a map, and they gave you, oh. like, a so the, a glossary of... Can yeah. I just say that one Go. of those aliens, it says, dies upon birth <laughs> as a characteristic. I did not read that. And I was like, the fuck? 
<laughs> ties a pond. How does that even work? And then it's like hostile, and it's like, do you care? Once it's born, it dies. I don't understand this, but it seems scary. <laughs> the back of, yeah, they do give you a galaxy map, and they outline a lot of the different aliens that come in. It serves a little bit more like a map of Middle Earth or like a glossary in Dune. Like, this isn't giving you, this it's is like, not- yeah, if you like the story and you want to deep dive, this is going to help you, but it's not like uh, a map to understanding anything. It won't give you context. It won't give you I think you it may little, lead yeah, to that eventually, story. though. That's a good point. For me, when I see a map in extra character bios, I lose my fucking brain. <laughs> I love it. I just, the more weird shit and the more in depth bonkers things I can uh, get my (laughs) mind around, the better. I 100% agree, and it shows you that the creative team is super invested in the bigger picture. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's something I love about fantasy stuff, and you know going into this book, there's just room for it to get larger and larger and larger. Yeah, they're not thinking two issues ahead. They're thinking like 10 or 12. Exactly right. And, And I think that that's, therein lies the beauty of this book. It's called Port of Earth. Like, honestly... You could just read the title of, the, of this book, and that's the description of it. It's, it's a port, right? I will say, um, and this is my bad, I rented a top hat and a, and a cane, and I was going <laughs> to play some, uh, you know, generic musical music, maybe some, like, fanning of the <laughs> opera. I thought this was a book about dessert wine on Earth. <laughs> oh, <boo>. <laughs> 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 I got drunk off a of port once. Oh. I just drank a whole bottle of port, and it was the worst on Earth time <laughs> on Earth. <laughs> okay, uh, now we're covering Kong on the Planet of the Apes, number one, out by Boom. Uh, the writer on this one, excuse me. So the writer on this is Ryan Ferrier, and the illustrator is Carlos Magno. Uh, This is uh, the book that has lots of variant covers. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) I can't get enough of them. Uh, So I think this book falls right after the first Planet of the Apes with Charlton Heston because his character, George Taylor, is referenced quite a bit. Um, Yeah. more so, he's it's referenced that he has just escaped, which I don't want to spoil spoil the first <laughs> Planet of the Apes. <laughs> but he gets away! Spoilies. <laughs> so what we have here is um, uh, Planet of the Apes. Uh, they are looking for a now escaped George Taylor, and they're in the Forbidden Zone. And uh, they are looking to close up the cave uh, in the Forbidden Zone, which if you haven't watched the movie, you have no idea the reference of that. So go watch the movie. Uh, but as they are doing their search party duties, they come across a giant gorilla corpse. Just beat the fuck up. This thing is bleeding from every orifice possible. Does it have an eye? It has one eye. Cleanly, one eye. Cleanly plucked out. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, the apes come across this giant carcass, this corpse uh, on the beach, and they are very confused, very troubled. It kind of rocks their entire... entire um, uh, mythos. Is that the right word I'm looking for? I'll go with mythos. Yeah. Mythos. Yeah. It kind of goes across, uh, kind of goes against their whole ideology and how they yeah. <laughs> built their society. Just like it would if 
uh, it happened to us uh, humans <laughs> if a giant gorilla corpse washed up on the, the or beach. Or a giant human. human. Yeah. I pictured that exact scenario when I was trying to put myself in the place of this book. That is so this funny. Book. Yeah. I did not do that. And so what ensues is um, kind of the ape hierarchy kind of questioning how they're doing things. Is there a ape god? That, is this an ape god that has fallen to Earth? Uh, do they need to go kind of explore past the Forbidden Zone, past their own continent to see where this uh, creature came from? And they end up seeking kind of some knowledge from some old 20th century maps and some newspapers. Dr. Zayas uh, actually uh, kind of shows them a news clipping of from the first King Kong movie, King Kong's death when he fell off the Empire State Building. So it kind of ties in both of these movie franchises into this bigger overarching story, which I think is kind of cool. So what they do, um, Cornelius and uh, Zara, I keep forgetting her name. I'm glad you don't know the names because (laughs) I didn't know a single name in this book. And my, like, uh, advice to anybody reading this book that doesn't know the franchise is just, like, let the names wash over mm-hmm. you. Yeah, change the names if you want. Yeah, because they, they have no <laughs> bearing on how good the story is. So when Susie and Brett... Um, <laughs> uh, so Cornelius and Zara... Oh, shit. Zira. Zira. Uh, they are the two, like, uh, most knowledgeable scientists on the island, and they are tasked with doing a autopsy of this giant gorilla corpse. Which can... Okay, so when I was reading this, I did not necessarily... Well, for the scientists, it does become, at least one of them, it becomes very much about discovery and very much about enlightenment and figuring out this puzzle. For pretty much everybody else, it is politically motivated in some way. Yes. How is it going to advance their race? Yeah, I don't really think it is so much about what is this creature, what does this mean... How does this... It is for Zira. Yeah. She really is about that. Like, what does this mean for our whole society? Which... But the rest of them is just kind of like, let's keep the peace. People are starting to get mad about these human rights violations. Right. Yeah. Let's uh, give them something to calm them all down. That's a good point. The, so, like, the military force is built of, like, gorillas. And they don't want the scientists to, disi- to dissect the animal because they think that the scientists are too emotional. Now, that, to me, is completely opposite of what a scientist is. A scientist is devoid of any emotion. They are just with the facts. They just want to dissect and to understand. So I thought that was interesting. And then you also learn from these these guards, these guerrilla guards, they make an offhanded comment that the corpse should not be dissected and they should actually build a statue. Yeah commemorating this creature. They should be building this a shrine, not Mm -hmm. dissecting it. And I wanted to ask you guys, do you think that's because that the corpse itself was another gorilla? That they they, they take this as a sign that in this ape race that the gorillas are the superior ones? That's a good point. I didn't really catch that. Yeah, Uh, I think that's exactly why. Yeah. Though, so uh, along those lines, I I would be the person who would want to create the shrine because I have a tiny brain. (laughs) My tiny brain thought this was going to be King Kong versus Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Me too. So, so I just thought we were going to have a, just a slugfest yeah. of just brutality. <laughs> Which, uh, did that make you not like this book because you were expecting it to be something completely different? So this is what happened. <laughs> I didn't like the book when I first read okay. through it. I went to uh, a person that works for me and I said, Hey, if, if I were to say to you King Kong and Planet of the Apes... Uh, 
what would you assume that comic book would be? And he goes, uh, I don't know, maybe they like think it's like a god that they like worship. And I was like, fuck my life. <laughs> yes, that's a, yeah. And that, I think that can, that can that can be your spectrum for ape movies. You're either a Kong person or you're a Planet of the Apes person. Or you're a Kong a- person is violence and flash and pop and sizzle. And your Planet of the Apes is is a thinker. It's a it's a politically driven social commentary about ourselves. There are Planet of the Apes super fans mm-hmm. and they're maybe drooling over this, this alternate scenario posed where we I get all the that, little though. details. Uh, my it's stepfather, kind of, who's fun. a piece of shit. Is, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I hope he listens to this podcast and fucking blows his brains out. Um, <laughs> no, the, the, I, I hope he listens to this podcast and realizes he's a piece of shit. You can put that in there. Um, but he's a big Planet of the Apes fan. Um, yeah, oh, so this no. is like their Ghostbusters <laughs> <laughs> for me. Like, uh, how I'm into the Ghostbusters, I'm sure people see this and just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah. falls in the timeline that is like, created from the 1970s <laughs> movies. So here, here's the thing, and I, I'm not super up on uh, Planet of the Apes of what it is. Is it not a commentary on race? I would say that. I say I would say it is. Yeah, and it, Especially in the, I think the older Marvel comics, um, it's the rights have since been sold to Boom. But Marvel used to do comic books, and they would pose these stories where you could use the apes for, you know, whatever culture is being um, oppressed, oppressed, marginalized, uh, exactly, and tell a story about I, them. I always thought it was more about captivity and like the rights of oh, like PETA kind of stuff. Yeah. Because, like, you shouldn't, and the similar way they're, they're like, oh, now our pets, I mean, we're probably being too mean to them, and people are starting to pay attention and say that we shouldn't keep them in cages. Yeah, like the tables have turned. It's definitely supposed to be used to put a lens on our own society. 100%. Yeah, for sure. If you don't think this book is social commentary... <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Find another podcast. Yeah. yeah. Get your money and then leave. Yeah. Uh, I thought this book was awesome. There's also like a monster octopus attack. Oh, yeah. That's, what, that's when I got book. into it. And a pterodactyl. Yeah. And a pterodactyl. So we're getting all of the Skull Island monsters. Um, at the end, there's this huge panel where we see the massive King Kong on Skull Island. One thing we didn't mention at the top was the ape that they find washed up on the beach, the big body, is a female. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot to say that. Um, so this book, I'm just thinking about it. It's kind of like in high school when you have to do a science project in class and you don't get to pick your partner. And you're the one. You're <laughs> the one. Wait, that, what? Wait, just stick with me. Okay. You're the one that like does all the research, does all the work. <laughs> you are the Planet of the Apes person. And then you have like, I don't want to say me. the I don't want to say like the jock oh, character, no, but the oh, guy, no, not me. the guy that doesn't take it seriously and is, it has ADD, like you and I do. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "I'll do the back half of it," right. and it turns into this like really thought out, well addressed presentation. And then he comes in with, "And then King Kong is here, <laughs> fucking shit up." A dinosaur, a bird dinosaur, and then an yeah. octopus, and then octopus King Kong. with like more teeth. <laughs> All right, and that was the 10th episode of First Issue Club. Thanks for joining us this week. First Issue Club is recorded at KCOR Studios in Kansas City. 
is a proud member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts, and our show is produced by Matt Hodap, and our music is courtesy of Primary Colors Music. It's that time to say goodbye, y'all. Send us off. It's time to go, 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 go! Budget King back with the hits. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Holy shit. Oh man. Full on double rainbow there. <laughs> oh my god. I felt like the demon that shows up occasionally just possessed oh. you. Didn't do that. Oh. oh boy. Life is a journey. Anyway, <laughs> this is Greg Lichtai signing off. I'm Caitlin Morosik, and I will show myself out. I'm Michael DeStacy. Bye-bye, babies. Bye. Bye.